Good morning, South Metro. How's everybody doing today? Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord with a wonderful group of people? Man, I'm so honored to be here today. Uh, last week, we started this series on the Hall of Faith, and Pastor David, man, he really knocked a home run last week, and I encourage you, if you didn't hear it, if you weren't here, I want you to go back, listen to it. It's on Samson. It was a powerful word, and it was so special to have Pastor David from our Germantown campus with us, because David is a grew up in this church. He's a son of the house, and so special to see him walking in his anointing and his calling. But we kicked off this series on the Hall of Faith. Not the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith. In fact, it comes from Hebrews chapter 11, where the writer of Hebrews begins to describe several people who throughout history and biblical history may stepped out in faith and changed the world and changed their situation. All of them have this one thing in common. They were great people of faith. In fact, in, we're going to open with Hebrews uh, 11.1. It says, now faith, everyone say faith. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and is the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And he goes on. You know, these people weren't commended for what they did. They were commended for what they believed that God would do. What they believed that God would do. And I'm here to ask you this today. What do you believe that God can do in your life? What do you believe he can do in your community? What do you believe he can do in your marriage and in your home? You see, this is kind of the theme for this whole series is that fame recognizes what you've done, but faith recognizes what God can do. And it's by faith all of these heroes stepped into their moment in history and changed the world for Christ. And so today I want to take just a moment and talk about one of the best Hall of Faith inductees, one of my favorites, and that is Abraham. Everybody say Abraham. Abraham, in fact, let's pick up reading in the chapter. It said, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to the place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and he went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham, if you had to describe him, I think the term risk taker describes Abraham the best. Little background info on what the Bible is describing right here is Abraham, he, he's, living in a far, he's living in his own homeland and the Lord comes to him and speaks a word to him and says, pack your family up, pack everything that you have and I just want you to go and I want you to go till I tell you to stop. And that's where I want you to stake your claim, and I'm going to create in you a father of many nations. He was going to be this genesis of an entire generation, and so he does exactly that. He hears a word from God, he responds to the word of God, he packs up his things, and he moves, and he, he actually goes almost nomadic for a long time before finally settling in. But to me, Abraham is best known for a situation that happens in Genesis chapter 22. And in Genesis chapter 22, God tests Abraham the greatest he's ever probably tested him up to that moment. This is just one of the most difficult situations that God's ever put anyone in. But how Abraham responds is really, really incredible. So let's pick up in verse 1 real fast of Genesis Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. 
Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain that I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up with his, and loaded his donkey. He took with him his two servants and his son, Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. Time out right here. That is an extreme request. Amen? God's asked a lot of things from me, but God has not asked my only child from me. God has asked a lot of things from me that I thought were an inconvenience, but this is not just an inconvenience. This is a blow. A blow to the very promise that God made him. Remember, God said, hey, if you'll move, if you'll move to this area, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you the father of many nations. But Abraham was old at this time. Abraham was an old man. And an angel comes to him and Sarah and says, hey, you're going to have a child. And it's years, even years later that he has this child. And now his only son, God's asking that of him. So fast forward to verse 9. It says, when they reached the place that God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Verse 10, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Because, verse 13 it says, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram, sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Abraham here, right in the moment where he was going to sacrifice his only son to the Lord, the Lord steps in with provision, stops that hand, and God meets this need and, and, and provides for him an answer to the sacrifice. But Abraham is literally this person who steps out in faith. And so today I want to look at some lessons that we can learn from Abraham. And I think the first lesson we can learn is this. You have to be willing to wait. Look at your neighbor and say, are you willing to wait? There's a common saying, and I want you to help me with it. It's this, good things come to those who wait, right? Good things come to those who wait. You know, my family has a few traits, uh, one of which is rapid gray hair, which I'm currently experiencing right now. I'm just trying to deal with it. It's, it's, it, 32 has been tough right now. And, uh, but one of the traits that we have is that we all seem to be really good at cooking, we love to cook, man. Where are my people that love to cook in this house? Your grandmama, you cooked fried chicken in a cast iron skillet. You didn't go to KFC. Like, you did it right. Where's my men that know how to grill up in this house? Ladies, get you a man that can cook. Because, listen, beauty fades, but you'll always need a food. You'll always need some chicken. You'll always need some steaks. Get you a man that can cook. So when Emily and I were dating... I decided that I was going to cook for her one night, and so I went with something simple that I knew I was going to cook. Pork chops, mashed potatoes, green beans. Like, that was going to be it. We was even going to do some uh, um, Sister Schubert rolls. You know what I'm talking about? Those yeast rolls that are so good. You get them at the store in the freezer section. 
And uh, I remember, but I was at college, okay? And in college, you're not exactly equipped with the right things to cook for people. And so I had this little George Foreman. I mean, it was like the cheapest George Foreman. It's probably smaller than this Bible is what it was. And I remember uh, trying to cook these pork chops on the grill, and I had everything ready to go. And Emily arrived, and I was just, just wanting to have everything perfect. And in a moment of weakness, I rushed the pork chops. I threw them on a plate, and we got it all together. And we ate the pork chops, and Emily did not tell me that hers wasn't really that done. And as the end result was, we had food poisoning later that night. It was a disaster. Somehow my wife still chose to marry me and still allows for me to cook for her because uh, I do love to cook. I absolutely love to cook. But, man, I had a hard time waiting for it to be done. Like, I wanted it to be done. I wanted it to be so perfect, but I just didn't have the patience. You know, I think the problem with waiting is that no one really knows what to do in the meantime, right? That space the meantime, we plan for the promise. Like, you know what you're going to do if you get the job. You know what you're going to do if you get the healing. You know what you're going to do if your savings makes it to that point. You know what you're going to do if you have the house that you don't have. But it's that space, that silence in between that we really don't know what to do. We really don't know. In fact, I, I would say that many of us may look lost in that moment. And in that space between, there's this rush that we have, and we want to speed the process up, and we want to get to the end. We want A to B to be really short and really rapid and not long, and that's what we desire, and it's very frustrating to be in this waiting season. But I want to ask you this question. What do you do in the meantime? I'll tell you what the temptation is to do. And that's to take matters into your own hands, right? Then instead of waiting for the miracle, we do what we can to make the miracle happen. We do what we can. You know, it's almost as if we have to, we feel like we have to jumpstart God's battery into making things happen. Like, God, I've got to help you out here. I know you're the one that's going to do it, but you know what? You need a little bit of, need a little bit of my touch, little bit of, need a little bit of my hand to help make this happen. The problem is we don't wait well. No one, none of us wait that well, uh, in a, in, especially in American culture. In fact, I would, I would dare to say that maybe someone in here is going to head to a drive-thru after this, and you're going to order your food, and you're going to get to the end, and they're going to say those dreaded words to you, ma'am, sir, the chicken tenders are not ready, and you're going to have to pull forward. You're going to have to pull up, and you're going to have to wait. And either one of two things is going to happen. Either you're going to continue to operate in this mode of saved, sanctified, and filled with God's peace, or you're, gonna, or you're just going to lose it. Like you, It don't matter if the kids are in the back. Like You're going to go off on that person that's making you wait three more minutes for those three more chicken tenders that your daughter who decided to get a big kid's meal got. Like that's, that's how it is. It's always somebody else's issue. We don't wait well. Like No one waits well. I think God oftentimes makes us wait, and, I, and hear me, this is, this is deeply theological. In fact, I want you to lean in. God, God wants us to wait. Are you ready? Because we're not ready. Because we're not ready. It's just that simple. God makes us wait because we're not ready to handle the blessing. We're not ready to handle the moment that we've been praying for. We're not ready to handle the things that we feel we deserve or the things we feel we've been gifted for. You know, a premature promise can destroy you. And all throughout history, 
God makes people wait. He makes people wait. In fact, Jesus waited 30 years before he would even step out and do ministry. David was anointed a king as a boy, but yet didn't become the official king until later as a man. Samuel was anointed as a priest in training, and he was dedicated to God as a child, but yet as a child he did not lead the nation of Israel. As a child he waited and he learned. Abraham left his whole homeland and he wandered the promised land living tent to tent with his big entourage that he had. And then when the angels came to him and said, hey, even in your old age, you're going to have a child. God still made him and Sarah wait even more. Like Sarah wasn't even able to conceive. They were that old at that point in time. But God still makes them wait. It would be years before they would even have Isaac. And I just began to think about this thought right here. Maybe we lack the promise because we, aren't, we don't have the maturity to handle it. Maybe we lack the promise because we don't have the maturity to handle that meantime, that space in between. Maybe you know God's called you to do something great, but you just don't understand why you have to wait to do it. Why can't this be instant? Why can't this be promotion? It's almost as if we desire to be a firework, right? Like we want to launch up and we want to explode and we want to be seen. It's like we're raising a culture that just wants to be fireworks. But here's what I know about fireworks is that they're always very short-lived. And no one remembers them. You don't go back and... No, it, it was funny is how many people will post videos of like fireworks displays wherever they are. I want you to know no one watches those. I'm going to be honest. We're all watching our own fireworks. <laughs> what do you do in this meantime? What do you do in this space and in this span where it seems like God is silent and nothing's going on? You have to keep walking. You have to keep pressing. You have to keep going towards your calling and going towards the things that God has for you. You have to walk with the promises that you already have, what God's already done for you. And you take those promises of what he's done in your past and what he's done in your family and what he's done for you already. And you keep your head up and you keep walking towards the promises yet to be had. You keep walking towards the things that have yet to be fulfilled. What I want you to know is sometimes it's okay to wait. Sometimes the best thing that we need to do is wait. Wait upon the Lord. Wait upon his presence. Wait upon what he wants to do. The second thing that I feel that you can draw from uh, this whole set of scripture from Abraham is this. You have to be willing to leave the bench. You have to be willing to leave the bench and get into the game. You know, I played a lot of sports as a kid, and that was only because... Uh, parents could pay for their kids to play sports, not because I was good. <laughs> and uh, just being real honest, I was good at only a couple things. But I love baseball. Where are my baseball fans in here? Braves. Uh, I know there's some Yankees fans in here, but we'll pray for you later. I loved baseball, man, but I was not good at baseball. In fact, if I had to describe me as a baseball player as a young boy, I played three years. All three years, it was basically me in the outfield fighting ADD, like just me just playing with flowers, just me 
building sandcastles or me, look at the thing I did the worst, man. I did this all the time. They would put me in like right field, left field. And if there was a game, because you know ballparks are pretty close. If there was a game next to me, I'd just sit there and watch it. Like, there's a game going on that you're playing in. But I'm just so easily distracted. And I was never good. And to be honest with you, I spent a lot of time on the bench. It's just the real truth. But I always would go home. And I would go, man, I really wish I could get in the game. Man, I really wish that I could get in there and I could make a difference. I could make a difference. I wanted to be just a person who would go down in history as a difference maker. Baseball just wasn't the avenue in which that I would do it. You know, one of my favorite things to study is World War II. I'm absolutely just enthralled by World War II. And what I love about the greatest generation is that they went off to war not knowing what was ahead. They went off to war not knowing what they would face. They just knew their country needed protecting and that the world needed their intervention. And their actions undoubtedly changed the course of history. They defended the very freedom that you and I get to sit in and dwell in today, worshiping God freely, paid for by the blood of the men and women who gave their life. And whether it was in a factory or it was in the battlefield, they gave their all to this cause. And... And I just think they're one of the greatest examples of what it me means when a group of people get together and choose to get off the bench and get into the game. And I can't help but wonder, as great as our church is, as great as our ministries are, as talented as Micah in this front line and all of that is, I can't help but think how much undeveloped, underused talent is still in the seats. And it's not in the seats because the opportunity is not there. It's in the seats because the willingness is not there. I know it's going to be quiet on that one, but that's okay. Much like the Hall of Fame, the people in the Hall of Faith made it there because they got off the bench and they made a difference in the game. They took risks and they dared to do things that you and I would probably say no to. In fact, I think there's two significant times uh, that Abraham, uh, he hears from the Lord and he's kind of, it's like a, that off the bench moment for him where he steps into the game. And the very first one is when God actually sends him out of his homeland into the promised land. He sends him, in fact, Abraham didn't know uh, where he was going. He just knew that God came to him in a dream and came to him in, in his mind and said, hey, you, you, I want you to go. This is the plan that I have for you. And so he goes off and he went, he went without, not, without knowing like the end goal of what he was looking for. In fact, he, I don't even know if he had a direction, much less like that way. You know, like I'm just going to go that way. Which when I read that, that stresses me out because this is my personality is like I'm very much a person in order. Like if, if, if you tell me where we're going to go eat, more than likely I'm going to look the menu up before I go. Like, I'm gonna, I don't like to waste time when I'm in a restaurant. When it comes to food, I'm, I want to get in there, order, and eat. If you're a person that has to struggle and look over the menu like 15 minutes, that's why I don't eat at Cheesecake Factory because the menu's like 50 pages long. But, like, you're laughing. Some of y'all know because it is. It's like huge. It's a book. It's like the Bible. And, uh, but it, it always frustrates me to not know maybe what's next. Like, to be, 
to be wandering to me is a waste of time, and I don't like to waste time. But to Abraham, this was not a waste of time because Abraham went not knowing the where he was going, but he knew the who was telling him to go. He didn't know how. He just knew that God was sending him. Can you imagine the conversation that went on between him and his family? I remember the conversation that went on when I told my mother that I was moving to Atlanta with our three-week-old baby, her grandson. My mom was like, ah. <laughs> you know, it's like she didn't even say, I'm going to miss you. She was like, I'm going to miss Judah so much. You know, all my grandparents, you know how it is. Like, you know, like that bond with a grandbaby is so special. But I can't imagine that the moment that he looked at his relatives, who, by the way, were not believers in this God that he served, and he says, hey, God came to me, God spoke to me in a dream, and he says for me to pack everything that I have and move. And when they said, okay, where is this God sending you? He goes, I really don't know. I just know I got to go. No doubt people probably try to talk him out of this, what we would think is probably a mistake. Like, come on, like, I don't think you really heard from, I think you had too much dairy before you went to bed. Like, you didn't, like, I don't know if you really heard from God, but I found this one thing to be true, is that most of the people that try to talk you out of your God-given dream, they're doing so because they do not have a God-given dream of their own. They don't know how to dream. They don't know how to plan. They don't have, they're not in tune with God the way that you're in tune with him. And they'll never understand what God is pushing you towards. But just because their no and their I think this is dumb is running through your mind and running into your ear, it doesn't mean it takes the place that the word of God put in your heart already. If God told you to go, the best thing for you is to go. It's to go. It's to go. It's to go on, to press on, to step in to what God has for you. The second time, I think, that God really just kind of gives him this off-the-bench moment is when he asks him to sacrifice his son, Isaac. To leave the bench means you have to sacrifice. In fact, athletes that we remember and that are off the bench playing in the game, they've sacrificed a lot already. They've sacrificed their time, their careers. They've sacrificed their body. Like They didn't get to the point that they got to because they were just lazy or because they looked good. They got there because they were good at what they did. People don't become great athletes or great leaders by not sacrificing. But God says something interesting to him. He says these words, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. See, Abraham didn't have just one son. Abraham had two sons. Because Abraham, he did not handle his meantime that well. In fact, when God says to him and Sarah and says, hey, you're going to have a child... Years go by, and, and he gets frustrated in the waiting, and he feels like God's promise is not going to come to fruition, and God's promise is not going to actually come to pass unless he does something. And so what he does is he circumvents the will of God. He sleeps with Hagar, his servant, and, and she bears him a son, Ishmael, but God rejects Ishmael from the beginning. He rejects Abraham's Mistake, And as bad as it, this sounds, I feel like it would be easier for him to offer his illegitimate son than it would be his legitimate son that God would later give him through Sarah. And I found this to be true, and that's this. It's much easier to surrender your failures to God than it is your successes. Listen, I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm not perfect. In fact, I continue to make mistakes. 
but I will give my mistakes up any day. But the moments where I've preached well or the moments where I've, I've put a, another, another gold star on, 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 on my shoulder pad where I, I stepped up a little bit more or I did something that was a, something nobody else was doing, it's those moments of recognition. Nah, it's those moments I don't really want to give to the Lord. But it's those moments that are nothing but divine favor. And I don't care what you've accomplished. Maybe it's an incredible savings. Maybe it's an incredible retirement plan. Maybe you've led companies and you've led people in a battle and you've done all these things. You did not do those because you were really gifted. You were really talented. You did those because God allowed you to. And God breathed life into you. And it's so much easier to give God all the things that we did wrong than it is to give God all the things that we feel we did right on our own. What if God is asking you to lay down the one thing you feel you can't live without? What if God is asking you to lay down uh, the one thing that you just can't feel separated from? This is going to sound real childish, uh, but I was still childish at the time. Uh, when Emily and I were dating, I had this truck, okay? And that's right now people are already chuckling. I had this truck, and I saved a lot of money to buy this truck. It was, an, it was incredible, and everybody loved this thing. It was awesome. Uh, like anyone that starts out in ministry, uh, you don't start out, you know, rolling with the big dogs, uh, making a lot of money. But I wanted to marry this woman, and I knew that I was going to have to buy a wedding ring and I thought we did real good. We went in one jewelry store, and she was picking out one ring, and I was like, that is surprisingly affordable. And then she said the dreaded words, well, let's just check one more store. And the next ring was like way, way higher. And so I was like sweating. I was like, yeah, you know, if that's the one you want, we'll get it. And what turned out is I had to make a decision. I had to sell that truck to buy this ring. And... Um, Man, I'll never forget that. It seemed real childish at the time, but I gave up something so material for something worth and someone worth so much more. And I can't help but feel like somebody in the room today, I can just sense it, like you're holding on to so many material things, but God's trying to give you something that money will never buy. And you want peace, but you're trying to buy peace. Thank you, Lord. You're trying to buy peace, but you can't buy peace. You can't buy the fix. You can't buy the things that you need, but what you really need to do is to give God the keys. The third thing I, I see when I read this is this. Your faith has to be in what you don't see. Don't yet see. Look at your neighbor and say, don't yet see. Yet being the key word in that phrase. You know, it doesn't take a lot of faith to do something where all the steps are planned out and all the materials are provided for. In fact, that's not really faith, that's just effort. It's like putting together Ikea furniture, you know? But that's how we want it, right? We want God to give us a pile of materials, to give us step-by-step -step instructions, and to then go with it. But that's not faith, that's just effort. Because God knows that if you had all the materials you needed, and you had all the direction that you needed, then at the end, he would not get the glory, and he would not get the credit. You would. And I learned this tough thing about preaching is that either you can operate in God's power or you can take all of God's credit, but you can't get both. And that's the truth. You know, when I moved to Lee, 
uh, you know, just sharing a little bit about my personal life. I was living a lifestyle that uh, was so counterproductive to the kingdom plan for my life. I had to walk away from a lot of people and a lot of friends and a lot of bad habits. And I went to lead to basically sober up. But I sold, I was in the middle of the recession. I sold uh, my part of, of some business equipment that I had. And I put a deposit down on my first semester at Lee. And then I borrowed all the money that was available for me to borrow because it was so late in the year. I went in January. And uh, my parents didn't have the money at the time uh, to handle the bill. And I was left with this major deficit. Uh, it was around 1500 bucks uh, for the end of the semester. But one thing that Lee lets you do is that you can start the semester. And uh, as long as you make it to this specific date, you have until that date to pay your full tab. And so I got two jobs while I was at Lee, and I was doing two jobs, and I was working full-time, and I was doing everything that I could to try and make it happen and, and, and to make bills happen. But the truth be told, I just wasn't cutting it. I still had this debt looming over me every day, and as the date got closer and closer, it became harder and harder. But my father, who's a man of faith, just began to remind me of an old principle you've probably heard, and that's this. If it's God's will, then it's his bill. And if the Lord called you there, he's going to provide for you. You just need to pray. And so I just did that. I just kept praying. I kept working. And I remember about four or five days before that deadline was due, I just, I was done. I didn't, I didn't know what else to do. I had, I didn't have any extra money, period. I was barely making it. And I walked up into my mailbox at school and I opened up and there was an envelope from Lee University that said that I had received the Marie McLuhan Scholarship Grant for $2,500. And so not only did God pay my bill, but God provided $1,000 that I didn't have to pay back for me to survive off of. But this is the best part, is that I, in order to receive the Marie McLuhan Scholarship, you have to apply online. You have to fill out an essay, and you have to do an interview. And I did none of those things because I didn't know it existed. But yet I still was gifted that money when I didn't deserve it, and I didn't do the work that other people had for it. And hear me out. Just because you don't see God working doesn't mean that God's not working. Amen? God is very much a behind-the-scenes God. In fact, what he does behind the scenes is what makes the main stage possible. And if we don't allow God to move on our behalf behind the scenes where we can't see and we don't have our hand in it and we don't have our control in it, then many of us will not get to the point where we get to experience the blessing of God. You have to be willing to give him control, complete control. You have to be willing to give him all of your trust. Even when he seems silent, you have to trust the fact that he's not and that he's working and he's providing. Here's the thing. Abraham did not know that God would provide an alternate sacrifice. He did not know the ram was going to be in the bush. Abraham didn't even know where he was moving to. He just went. He just went and he went on faith and he went knowing that God would provide. But Abraham had this faith that whatever God asked him to do, God was going to provide a way for it to happen. Whatever God pushed him towards doing, it was going to happen because God was going to make a way where there seemed no way. Where's my people who've had to just walk a journey on faith? You've had to walk out some bills on faith. You've had to walk out your healing on faith. When your babies and your marriage was falling apart, you had to walk out on faith. God, we committed this marriage to you. God, I'm stamping it back to you. God, I'm sending it back to you. And what, 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 while you tied up the promise, 
God tied up the provision. That's just what I feel right now. You might have walked up one side of the mountain with the only promise you had left from God. You might have walked up the side of the mountain with drama and with all that, but while what you didn't see is what God was walking up the other side. And up the other side, he was walking up peace. And what he was walking up was favor. And what he was walking up was the healing that you needed. And what he was walking up was everything that you lack in this moment. And I just wish I could find about 300 people who be willing to stand and just say, I'm going to stand in faith when nobody else is standing. I'm going to walk this thing out because I know the ram is on the other side. Trust. You have to trust. Faith. It's built on the things that we cannot see. It's built on the things that we hope for. But I feel that many of us are trying to build a life of faith on what we know we can explain and on what we know we can plan out. And you're wondering why this faith life isn't working for you. And that's because you don't have a faith life. You have this planning life. You have this life where you're in the middle of everything and you still got the controller. You know, it's really annoying. And, and I just, just thinking about this as a, as a child. When someone would invite you over to their house to play video games, uh, and they would play something. Like back in the day, we had a Nintendo 64. Where's my Nintendo 64 kids? Where are you at? GoldenEye. Come on. Greatest game ever. GoldenEye was like a one. It, it, it was, we, we used to, I grew up with poor folks, so we had a TV about like yay big. And so you couldn't do split screen on that, so you had to play one person at a time. There is nothing more annoying than watching one person play a game while you sit there and watch. Like, like, and, and that, that's how we do it with the Lord. We don't want to be annoyed, and we don't want to be bored, so we keep the controller. When God's just wanting you to, to just surrender the controller to him and watch him, watch him paint the picture. Watch, give him the paintbrush and let him do what you can't do. The apprentice can never make what, what the artist can really make. You can make a picture that looks like it, but you can't make it with how the artist really rendered it. The fourth thing I see is this from Lessons from Abraham. If you have the faith, God will match it with the provision. Can I get an amen on the provision part? If you could provide what you needed, you would have already done so. That's just the truth. If you could have fixed your situation, you would have fixed it. If you could have brought healing to your body already, you would have done it. You'd have done it already. But faith is so much like a seed. In fact, I grew up in a really rural community. Um, I, somebody was asking me about, like, tell me a little about yourself. Like, if, if I had to describe where I grew up, um, it, it, would, it would make you feel like Noonan was like the megatropolis. Like, we had to go along. I lived eight miles from the closest gas station. Uh, we were an hour drive to my high school. It was, we was in the woods. And... Um, we grew up in a really rural community, so anything agricultural always, always sparks my interest. And when you plant a seed, like, there's some effort that goes involved. You plant it, you've got to cover it, you, you know, you disc it, you put it in rows. But the one thing the farmer cannot do is provide the rain. He can't provide the rain. He can provide some water in the meantime. You can put some fertilizer on it. But there's only so much water in the pond. There's only so much water that you can have access to. If you've got large property, you need the grace of the good Lord to come in and pour the rain out. We can plant the seed of faith, but we can't bring about the provision part of the faith. 
You can't bring about that. But many of us want to be farmer. We want to be harvester. We want to be rain provider. We want to be all things to ourselves, not all things to all people. And we want to be the one that makes the magic happen. But God, if his hand is not only on it, it won't happen. It won't have God is sovereign. God is in control. And God will bring the harvest about when it's time for it to bring about. And God's not asking you to make the provision. God's asking you to come up with the faith. It's faith. It's the faith that drives the power of God. It's the faith of Abraham that makes God just fully in awe of him. It's his faith that puts him in the hall of faith. It's not his doubt. I thought this was super interesting. Verse 14. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, and I want you to read this last part aloud with me. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Could it be that the very place that God is testing you is the very place that God's going to provide for you? Could it be in your marriage that seems to be falling apart right now that that's the very thing that God's going to pour his supernatural love back in and it's going to flourish and your marriage is going to move from one that people turn their head to to one that people are looking towards in honor and in awe of what God can do? Could it be that your financial situation that God is about to pour into is going to move from a place where you're begging for money to where you're generous with your money and you're able to meet the needs of it others? Could the mountain be the very place that God is wanting to bless you. Abraham, he lived his whole life responding to this one promise that God made him to be this genesis of a nation. And he gets to this moment only to climb a mountain with the only promise, the only example of this promise that he had to climb this mountain, get to the top, and God asked him to sacrifice it. But what Abraham did not see was God was walking up that real provision on the other side the whole time. Just about the time God asked you to give up the very thing you can't live without, that's when you see what he's been doing behind the scenes. That's when you see what he's been doing this whole time. That's when you see the reason why he made you wait. That's when you see the reason why all of this is planned out the way that it has played out. And what he's providing behind the scenes will be greater testimony to his power and his glory can you imagine Isaac? He's, he, by the way, in the verses that we, had to, that we skipped over, he's fully aware. And he, in fact, he asks his dad, hey, man, I see the wood, I see the torch, but I don't see no sacrifice. Can you imagine what Isaac, how, how just impacted he was in this moment? Not only was he fully terrified of his dad probably after that, but he also saw the hand of God happen. He heard the Lord's voice speak in that moment. And God does something in Isaac and continues on to carry on this inheritance. Could it be that the very thing that you're struggling with is the very place that God is wanting to make his biggest moment and his biggest stage and his biggest impact right now? I'm going to close with just this thought as the band makes their way up. There's a lot of things that I um, have been guilty of in the past. Thank God that he's washed a lot of those away. One of the biggest things that I've been guilty of is this, is not really giving God 100% of myself. You see, I didn't get to Lee University until I was 22. In fact, God called me at a young age in youth camp. This is why 
this is why you serving in kids ministry and youth ministry matters, okay? Here I was, a boy, and God spoke a calling over my life, much like Abraham says, I'm going to do something special in you that no one, I'm not doing in anyone else. But yet there was this, this phase of my life where I just wandered from the Lord. About 16, 17, I was dealing with some health issues, and I just walked away from God. I was like, listen, if you're not going to fix me, then I don't have time for you. And instead of giving God, instead of leaning in in the moment that I needed to lean in the most, I walked away. And I fear that's where many people in the body of Christ are. The moment that their life becomes drama-filled, where they need the support of someone in an altar praying for them, or they need a brother or sister in Christ, that's the moment that they walk away. In our greatest moment of need, we walk away from the Father. And I walked away from the calling that God put on my life, and I ran from him. I ran from him, and I ended up in a, just a partying lifestyle that I didn't need to be in. But one night, come on. Can you remember the one night? Can you remember where you were when you didn't have enough common sense? And the Lord rebuked the devourer off your life long enough for you to make an intelligent decision. And you said yes to Jesus Christ. And in a moment, I came back home to the Lord. And I gave him everything. But I wasted about seven years that I can't get back. All because I was strapped with this word called fear. And fear is not an enabler, it is a disabler. And fear will keep you bound. And fear will keep you in a seat. And fear will keep you from serving. And fear will keep you from wandering out into the unknown, trusting a known God. And I got this question for you today. Are you stepping out in faith, believing for provision? Or are you still standing in fear? Maybe God put something in your heart to do. Maybe it was as simple as pay it forward at the drive-thru. Or maybe it was something along serving God with your life and giving God your time. Maybe God's put something in your heart and in your spirit. Let me tell you what. If you're still breathing in here, then God still has something for you to do. Regardless of age, there are young men and young women in this church that need a mentor. And I refuse to go down with my life, not bringing up the next generation. I refuse to go down with my life, not passing on the things that God's done for me and provided for me to this next generation. Are you stepping out in faith, believing that God's going to use you and he's going to provide for you in the way that he wants to? Or are you still strapped with fear? Are you still standing still, watching everyone go out into the game and hit home runs for the kingdom? Would you stand with me today? With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're in here today and you can say, Pastor Ben, I've never said yes to Jesus Christ. In fact, this talk of communion and this talk of Christ and this talk of forgiveness, to be honest with you, I've never said yes and accepted it. But I know in my heart that today I need to say yes to Jesus Christ and begin a relationship with him. If that's you today, 
and you want to accept Jesus Christ with no one looking around, I just want you to lift your hand up. Maybe you're in here and you could say, Pastor Ben, my life is in the waiting period. I'm in the meantime right now, and if I'm going to be honest, I'm losing courage. I'm losing faith that God's going to make it, that God's going to provide for the very things that I need, and I'm losing hope right now, and I just need some covering. I just need some courage, and I just need God to intervene. If that's you today and you need God's provision, I just want you to lift your hand. Thank you all over the room. I'm going to ask our prayer team to make their way down front. We're just going to take a, just a brief minute. I just want you to think on this question and pray on this question. Are you stepping out in faith, believing for provision, or are you standing still? Because today you can make right what you've made wrong.